Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, uh, welcome to another edition of the R Big Show. This is our youth fan Jerry, and I am excited about uh, entering in our fourth show of the season and entering the third, our fourth game, and a Big Ten opener when Rutgers welcomes Iowa Hawkeyes into Rutgers Stadium on Saturday. Uh, the Scarlet Knights gave us another uh, scare. Uh, a, uh, Second week in a row where they fell behind, or well, third week actually, sorry, where they fell behind, um, and second week where they fell behind and were able to come back. Obviously, last week it was Howard, so this is a little bit of a different um, opponent. New Mexico, um, you know, obviously not the kind of caliber of team that Rutgers will be facing over the next couple of weeks. Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, all in a row. Um, but it was a bowl team, and it was a team that. When you're down 21 nothing, uh, I think there was a cause for a lot of concern. Um, a lot of credit to Rutgers, who bounced back and uh, tied the game at 21. And then we had a little bit of this. Career five kickoff returns for touchdowns. Janarian Grant should have a chance at this return. Has it for the 31. Here we go. Changes direction. Grant. What a hole midfield, Janarian Grant, can he do it again? Look out, he will, Janarian Grant, touchdown! Janarian Grant with his fifth and sixth return of his career, and he's just been amazing, threw a touchdown. So far he's run one back, he's run a punt back, he's run a kickback, uh, run one in, and just been Mr. Everything for, for Rutgers, and uh, kind of leaves you with a little bit to imagine if uh, the Scarlet Knights had found other ways to use him in the past. Uh, uh, but that's that's long gone. Uh, you know, they were a pro set team that were trying to fit players into a scheme instead of working their scheme around the kind of players that they had. But uh, it was it was a win. Rutgers uh, held on, 37 to 28, uh, and they move ahead now and and. I have to say I look forward to this game, this, this Iowa game, for a lot of reasons. Um, Iowa, uh, you know, I remember uh, as a kid, I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, going way back. Uh, you know, Iowa's one of those Big Ten teams uh, that I always looked at and watched. And, you know, I remember uh, when I was young, uh, Ronnie Harmon, who was from Queens, uh, New York, uh, one of their better players, obviously, running back, went on to play for, for the Chargers. And, um, you know, even when Rutgers started to, to – to, Back in 2005, six, seven, later on, uh, yeah, I used to watch these games with, with, uh, uh, and I remember a particular weekend when I was watching Iowa. I think it was against Penn State, and uh, you know, not to make light of it, but it, you know, two teams they, as Big Ten as you get, you know, they used to just grind it out, pound each other, you know, one, two, three, and uh, you know, run, 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 throw a pass, punt, run, run, throw a pass, punt. And, uh, you know, type of 14 to six game. And I said, you know, we can do this. And 
and, and that's kind of the offense that Rutgers ran too over the last uh, uh, you know decade before moving on to to this power spread that unfortunately will take some time to get off its uh, you know training wheels because the players are, are not there uh, as of yet. I'm excited about the show though today. I have uh, two uh, guests um, coming on: uh, John Miller of HawkeyeNation.com, and of course Bobby Darren, who's been on the show quite a few times uh, representing ScarletNation.com, and we will uh, chat about the upcoming upcoming matchup. Uh, now, you know, I always consider myself an ambassador uh, for Rutgers, and, and you know, I'm thinking with this podcast if it gets out there to some. Uh, uh, the Hawkeye fans and who will be coming across Rutgers for the first time. And kind of want to give my little preamble a little bit about Rutgers. And of course, um, you know, one of the things that Scarlet, fan, Scarlet Knight fans have to take, uh, you know, and, and, and not show a little bit of thick skin is, uh, you know, Rutgers will always have those articles that you'll see and, you know, you know, where, why Rutgers, what has it done to the big 10, you know, why, why, and, and and you got to take that with a grain of salt because the fact that it is the media presence that Rutgers was pitching and and is pitching uh, its its location and obviously the media around it so it's always a lightning rod and and let's face it between Julie Herman and uh, the Mike Rice incident and then last year the arrest and everything uh, they did a lot of things to make themselves a butt of uh, of a few jokes. But, you know, kind of want to circle back, though, you know, again, for, for the Hawkeye fans who are listening and will listen to this. And, um, you know, this today, actually, Rutgers announced that they'll be honoring the 2006 team. Uh, of course, that holds a special place in, in uh, you know, our hearts and minds. And, and of course, the 1976 team from, from 40 years ago. Um, but it is crazy that already the magical year 2006 is 10 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, look back at when Greg Shannon was here with 2006 and as the team progressed, 2007-8, the consecutive bowl games. Uh, you know, it was nine of ten years, I believe, uh, were, were bowl games. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you flip on the TV right now, you look at the New England Patriots, there's three defensive backs uh, out there that are, are Rutgers players. Uh, uh, and, and think about that team where they were in 2012, um, I always say the potential people don't realize how close Rutgers was there almost to taking to the next step. And in 2009, Shannon brought in his prize quarterback and um, Tom Savage. Um, things went sour in terms of that relationship. How Savage had a great 2009 freshman season. Of course, the story we know uh, some struggles the sophomore year, and then eventually transferred out of the school. Uh, but the plan would have been Savage playing with that 2012 defense that we're talking about. Uh, last week, Marcus Cooper was defense, NFL defensive player of the week for the Arizona Cardinals. He was a backup on that team. He was the fifth defensive back. Again, look at Logan Ryan, Brandon Bing, guys all in the NFL, Logan Ryan with Deron Harmon now in the Patriots. There was a lot of talent on this team. So I think there's a misconception that some of the struggles that are taking place right now is because Rutgers in the Big Ten. It, it's not because Rutgers in the Big Ten. It's because the recruiting fell off so heavily after 2012. And, and remember where Rutgers was sitting after that season and the 2013 class that they potentially had was a, two, it was a top 25 class. And then we know it started to fall apart with the blowout losses to Houston, the class decommit after decommit, and they ended up losing all those players. And then you know how the story goes. Basically, Rutgers started to take some flyers on players that they probably shouldn't have. We look back and say, well, you know, some of those late additions, some of those guys that they pulled out of Florida that were three-star players just because they lost so many players. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, those well, many of those players were ones involved in the incidents that were, uh, you know, now no longer with the team. And what you're dealing with is a bunch of young guys in the secondary, guys who, you know, weren't the caliber uh, again, I go back to these NFL type players, and it wasn't just Devon Harmon and these recent guys. You know, Joe Fred's McCourty, obviously uh, several guys, uh, Courtney Green over the last uh, you know ten years. Um, so the talent is not there right now. So you know, Rutgers unfortunately has to get back almost, and it's kind of crazy for those that you know we don't have a great of history in terms of success, but they have to get back to where they were in terms of that talent level, where Shannon was able to keep players from. Uh, not going to 
Iowa or Penn State or Pittsburgh, for example, or Wisconsin. And uh, you're never going to keep the stop of the studs from going to Ohio State and to Michigan because they, there's such an allure at those programs. But what you have here is to potentially get back to keeping this New Jersey talent. Last year, they got zero, zero out of 15, top 15 players in his own state. Now, that can't happen. If they get back to that, then, you know, they're not going to beat Ohio State anytime soon but then they can compete. Then they can be exactly what they did in their first year in the Big Ten. They didn't do anything special. They just won 8-4 and four by beating the games that they should win, beating Indiana, by beating Maryland. And if you're going 8-4, and four, then things get easier to pitch, and then maybe you keep one of those top players. You keep two of those top players, and then it goes. But that's my little speech that I have to give out there. And, uh, you know, again, I know Rutgers will take a lot of uh, the blunt of a lot of jokes. And it's not just a talent thing. It is a talent thing, um, but it's also a perception that they have to fight. And, unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit of a slow uh, rebuilding process uh, to getting back to at least a level of success that they had um, prior to this uh, step back. But without further ado, I do want to start talking about Rutgers and Iowa. So I want to welcome uh, John Miller again from the uh, HawkeyeNation.com. John, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're, you're talking about Ronnie Harmon there, and I'm like, hey, this guy uh, knows my love language. Uh, I, I was I was 15 or so back in the mid-'80s, and, and, and Ronnie Harmon and his brother Kevin came out to Iowa, and, um, you know, my mom worked a concession stand at Kinnick Stadium, so I'd get there real early in the morning. And uh, one year it was uh, Iowa against Northern Illinois, and it was rainy, and I'm down there by the end zone, and I, I start to strike up a conversation with the man, and I'm here I am all like 14 or 15, and and come to find out that he was Ronnie and Kevin's dad, and after the game he asked me to stop by the locker room, and I got to meet him. So uh, the Harmons, the Harmons always have a special place in, in my heart for sure. Oh yes, I, I do remember, and uh, it's funny because the game has changed so much now. When you're watching, especially in the NFL, how you they have these running backs that catch so many passes, like. Yeah, uh, right. you know, he was a very versatile player that in his day would have probably even had even a better NFL career. Yeah, I think he I don't I can't remember for sure. I want to say that he caught over 60 passes uh as a senior running back for Iowa in addition to rushing for over uh, 1000 yards and he played he played a wing back, slot back for Iowa for a couple of years before moving to that running back position. Boy, when they when they moved him there I mean, he, he, he is still talked about um, in, in Iowa fan circles and placed on a high pedestal that, that very few Iowa football players have ever come in the same breath as far as ball carriers to Ronnie Harmon. And, and really, um, the first player that I have ever compared to Ronnie Harmon um, since then, and we're talking like 30, 31 years later, is one of Iowa's tailbacks who will be out um, – in Rutgers this weekend, and that's Akron Wadley, and he's also from the area. So uh, he's got footwork that reminds me of Ronnie. He's not as talented as, as Ronnie, but um, he's the closest thing I've seen as far as just footwork and, and juking ability and a fluidity that just leaves you a little bit uh, struck at times. Yes, and, and of course, uh, you know, you know uh, Roddy Wadley is a Jersey player, so just uh, – uh, you know, another one of the examples of, of, you know, we'll see over the Big Ten as Rutgers plays uh, many of these teams that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, has two, three, four players that, that are from there. So, um, it, it, you know, the, the talent is definitely there in the state. So, uh, you know, I definitely, um, hey, I don't know, I, I listened to your podcast, great show. By the way, I'll, I'll definitely uh, I'll make sure to send it out to, to my to my listeners. Um, uh, and, uh, you, you know, you guys had a tough week, obviously, Um you know, losing to North Dakota State. It, 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 the story's out there. Everybody knows that North Dakota State is, is you know, one of the best uh, – well, it is. It's the five-time, uh, you know, running champion of, of uh, FCS football and, and, you know, better than, you know, whatever percentage of, of uh, FBS teams out there. But um, it does beg for the question, uh, you know, why? Why, are they, why play that game? Yeah, Iowa, Iowa inked that game back in the summer of 2011. And that was prior to North Dakota State winning any of their current five consecutive championships. They hadn't won a championship at the FC level at that point in time. I think they, they came up from Division II uh, to FCS somewhere around 2004. 
So when Iowa scheduled them, they weren't the uh, FCS version of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, and Iowa had scheduled, you know, they played Mon- Montana through the years. They played Maine. They played Northern Iowa. And some of those games have been, you know, a little tougher than fans would have wanted. So, yeah, Iowa wasn't out looking to play this one. It just so happened that in the five years that spanned from them signing the contract to playing the game, North Dakota State became what we see now. That being said, um, Iowa really has no excuse for losing to a team from the FCS, and it's been a very difficult uh, game to take among Iowa fan circles this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, North Dakota State has, I think it's six in a row that they've beaten for, uh, from uh, FCS teams. But those were, you know, you know, Kansas, Colorado State, Kansas State, uh, you know, not in the same, not, not a team that's predicted to win, uh, right. you know, the, the Big Ten West. But, uh, you know, like I said, obviously you turn that page, um, you know, it was a good team. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we kind of started off, you know, I'm talking about, you know, you, you, you think of Iowa as that prototypical throughout the years uh, uh, Big Ten team. You know, I don't know if it's a jersey, mm-hmm. but they look like the Steelers, you know, just line it up, we're going to pound you. And, of course, they've had good quarterbacks, you know, Chuck Long throughout times and throw the ball, but but it's, you know, it's it's power football, it's lawn in the trenches. And, um, you know, you some good points that you brought up in your podcast was, you know, after three games, you're looking back, there, there are some struggles on – in terms of uh, creating this identity, now uh, C.J. Beathard is, is, you know, by all means potentially, you know, really behind J.T. Barrett, potentially the second best quarterback in the whole conference. So, uh, you know, you're going through that uh, identity. Are we going to throw the ball? Are we, you know, going to stick to our roots? And, um, you know, do you think that I was looking at this game, you know, potentially obviously a game that you should win, um, as that game to reestablish yourself as that dominant team in the trenches. I think you're right. I, I, I think that's what Iowa is going to come out and try to do. And as you mentioned, I think that, that they haven't had um, this caliber of a passer in the Kirk Ferentz era at Iowa. Matter of fact, I think C.J. Beathard is probably the second best, second or third best passing quarterback that I've seen Iowa have in my lifetime of watching Iowa football, which – goes back to where I can remember it to about 1980. I think Beathard is on that level as a thrower, certainly as an understanding of the offense. And I think it's, it's, it's tempting to want to say, hey, let's, let's play with this nice shiny toy that we've never had before. Um, but the, the, the talent disparity between C.J. Beathard, the quarterback, and the players that he's throwing to is significant. He's not throwing to all Big Ten receivers. He may be throwing to one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the Big Ten, but still the other team knows they can just take away two guys, and then Iowa doesn't have much proven. I think Iowa's going to look to pound the ball in this game. Last week against North Dakota State, and by all means, this is not an excuse for a loss um, because Iowa was dominated on the defensive side in the trenches. But Iowa's two best offensive linemen, two players that, if they stay healthy, will be in the NFL – um, their starting center, James Daniels, and their right guard, Sean Welsh. They did not play last week. Uh, Daniels has been out for the last two weeks. So I, I think Iowa's offensive line lacking some cohesion. They do have talent. This is a much better run-blocking line than it is a pass-blocking line because I think really they're a collection of guards and interior linemen, which, which can cause problems on the exterior from a pass rush standpoint. But I think Iowa's going to keep this simple. I think they're going to try to run the ball 40-plus times in this game. Right, uh, you, you obviously mentioned uh, Welsh. I mean, there's uh, Boone Myers, uh, uh, you know, at the guard position, and you are, so you're going to run, you're going to run inside. Now, here's the interesting question because, um, you know, Rutgers, again, playing with statistics, they played New Mexico last week, who really is a triple option, even though or whatever pistol type mm-hmm. of team, they, they run the ball. They run the ball. They played Howard uh, where, you know, they were – um, it's obviously an NFCS and a low, low FCS team. Um, and, and Washington really kind of blew us out of the door, blew Rutgers right out of the door so quickly that uh, they could have thrown a lot more if they wanted to. Um, so, you know, Rutgers right now is ranked in the 30s, but but this is a team that, that the secondary is the weakness and probably the defensive line is, is the strongest part. So 
do you, you know, how much do does Iowa stick with that plan if it is a, you know, a lot easier than they expect to throw the ball or B, there are some struggles and they say, Hey, well, let's stop trying to force the issue and attack their weakness. Yeah. I think Kirk Ferentz, he's pretty stubborn. And I think when you talk about Iowa versus North Dakota state on paper last week before the game, you could say the same thing that, you know, the week before North Dakota state, um, absolutely was torched in their own defensive secondary by Eastern Washington, a team that ran a spread offense and threw it a lot. And, you know, Iowa fans are thinking, well, gosh, C.J. Beathard's going to just destroy their, their young cornerbacks. Well, they made Iowa play a little bit left-handed. I- Iowa's passing game is most effective when their running game is doing what it wants because Iowa's primary passing weapon is play-action passing. And that's why Iowa – will run the ball into seven- and eight-man fronts sometimes, even though they might only get one, two yards. They're setting something up to get you later on with the play-action, you know, uh, post skinny post route or, or something along those lines. So you, I think you make, bring up a very interesting point, one worth watching with your talented defensive line. I don't think Iowa is going to come out and say, well, we can't attack them on the defensive line because that's where their strength is. We're just going to go here and throw. No, I think last week, I don't think Kirk Ferentz is going to lose another game this year because he didn't run it enough or didn't test it enough. And Akron Wadley uh, only had four um, four carries last week. You know, Ferentz saying that he wasn't injured, but we know that he was he was nicked up. He had ice on his knee after the Tuesday press conference last week. So I think you'll see both of them in a combination. Uh, and I, I just think Iowa's going to run at Rutgers, even though that might be the strength of their line. It doesn't mean they're not going to pass at all but the, the passing game is going to be set up by the running game. So we'll see a lot of Watley. Now, now give me a little bit more about uh, Kittle, the, the, the tight end. Uh, he, you know, what kind of player does he most remind you of? Because um, one of the issues that Rutgers has uh, this year is replacing all three linebackers. So right. uh, they're going to be matched up with him, uh, you know, obviously the safeties as well, but, uh, you know, what kind of player do you, I guess, kind of compare him to? He's the closest thing Iowa has had to Dallas Clark since Dallas Clark uh, was, you know, left early in 2003 as the, the Mackey Award winner for the top tight end of the nation um, in 2002. Um, he, he may not be as dynamic a pass catcher as Clark, but I'm not sure that he's that far behind. He's a better run blocker than Dallas Clark. He's really developed himself into – uh, being uh, a very, very good blocking tight end. Now, he's not like a 270-pound guy. He's you know, around 245, 250 pounds. He's very fleet of foot, caught a nice wheel route last week, had two actually very long catches. He's actually a deep threat for Iowa, and he's faster than he looks. So, you know, he is definitely somebody that Iowa is going to look to get the ball to if he's matched up with a linebacker. There's no doubt. He's He's – he and Matt Vandenberg are Iowa's two primary passing threats. Now, you know, of course, I have to, uh, you know, again, I think it's the psychological part of uh, it probably is a little bit easier from the coaching perspective, you know, after you get a humbling loss like this. And, and I'm sure at some point during the week they say, well, let's, you know, forget probably very early and not Sunday forget about last week. Let's move on. And and you probably have a much easier time getting the team to focus and not overlook mm-hmm. Rutgers, you know, this week. Um, so that could be a, a bad thing for, for, for Rutgers in some sense. You know, on the other hand, I still say, well, you know, they did lose that game at the end of the day. So, right. um, you know, perhaps uh, from the optimistic standpoint, uh, you know, there there is some chinks in the, in the armor. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess give us um, – you know, what are some of the things that Rutgers uh, coaches might find on film that, that they should attack, uh, or, you know, whether it's on offensively or defensively? Yeah, I, I, would, I would look at the film if I was the Rutgers offensive coordinator and running the, the power spread attack like you guys are going to, and I would say, hey, there's openings in the middle of that Iowa defense, or at least North Dakota State exploited something in the middle of Iowa's defense. Miami of Ohio and Iowa's season opening game um, found some chinks in the armor in the middle of that defense, even though Iowa's linebacker was ejected for targeting from that game um, very, very early on. 
uh, you know, the, the, the power spread, and I think what it hurts Iowa is when you get your when you get your skill position players somewhat lined up outside of the tackle box, it forces Iowa, who likes to stay in their base 4-3 set a lot, um, somewhat reticent to, to move into nickel personnel, and that, and that power spread can make teams pay for bringing in nickel backs uh, with the running game. You get Iowa's linebackers a step or two shaded outside farther than they normally might be. It just leaves that middle susceptible to a quarterback who can keep it and run, or just that just that that zone read fake inside dive to where it causes that linebacker to to take a step or stop to check his key. And that's something that the spread has really has had some success with against Iowa defenses the last four or five years. Uh, is that inside inside zone read either give or fake? So. That's something that I would definitely try to exploit because, you know, Iowa's run defense, which has really been the backbone of their most successful teams over the last 15 years, is not off to a good start at all. Uh, that is, that's the first area that I would attack. You know, it's such a great topic, really, the, the – uh, you know, the, the discussion of, of this offense's defenses versus, you know, these, these spreads, because I think it, it just touches back in the whole, uh, for Big Ten fans, the whole transition of, of really, if you look back in 2006, the, the Appalachian State-Michigan game, where you just right. saw that, you know, teams spread it out, and, and Michigan has the biggest, best defensive offensive linemen, and they're just trying to smash it into a, a, a you know, a spot when – then, you know, Appalachian is running around you, and it's really not that mm-hmm. complicated. But even us uh, at Rutgers for years used to watch, while Shiano, as good as the coach was in the defensive corner, sticked in his 4-3 base when they would play teams like a Fresno and, and, and Euro right. or, or some yeah. of the other teams that spread it out. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. Now, from the perspective of Rutgers, unfortunately they have the power spread, but they don't really have the power spread quarterback. And this is something I'll right. touch later on with Bobby because – there is a true freshman, and he has played. They burned his red shirt. There's about four quarterbacks, five quarterbacks on the team, and they played him for some reason. And, and, and there was some rumor that he was working on inside runs this week. So it'll be interesting to see if we do say that. But that's, that's um, you know, neither here or there. Now, uh, in, in terms of, of Iowa's players to watch, you know, looking at – there's a lot, obviously, Desmond King and, and Rutgers has Janarian Grant. Now, I think, well, last week they did a good job, and, and this coordinator, uh, Drew Berenger, has, has done a good job of calling a, a game with the limitations he has a quarterback where you don't really have a true running quarterback. Um, well, how do you think they'll match up? I, I'm sure they're very aware of Grant at this point, but well, will they throw a King at him or will they you know, kind of play it in their base and, and deal with him as he comes through the zone? I think the latter. Uh, Iowa played against Iowa State a couple of weeks ago, and Iowa State is not a great football team this year, but they have one of the more physically gifted wide receivers. Maybe, you know, in Alan Lazard. He, he's an NFL guy. He's 6'5", 220, just a fantastic weapon. And in the week leading up to the game, Desmond King told the media that he was going to shadow Lazard during the week, to which we were all shocked and surprised because that's not how Kirk Ferentz does it. Uh, he, he basically has his corners play right and corners play left. They don't play field. They don't play boundary. They play right and they play left. And, you know, if the, if the uber-talented wide receiver happens to be on the opposite side where Greg Maven is, that's just the way that it is. Well, once Iowa got to the game against Iowa State, of course, they played right and they played left. They did not shadow King on Lazard. So I do not expect at all – for King uh, to shadow anybody in this game and the chips will fall where they will. So if you're Rutgers and you look on tape and you see Greg Maven, the opposite corner for Iowa, opposite King, and you see how he struggled against Miami of Ohio, then yeah, you're probably, you know, if you feel good about your passing game, then you're probably going to look to go over and attack him as opposed to Desmond King, who, you know, King had eight interceptions last year. He was a Thorpe award winner as the, the nation's top quarterback. And he came back, He's not going to get anywhere near that this year because teams just simply aren't going to throw at him very much, and they haven't thus far. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's the life of a corner. Usually, you get picked on, and then if you 
are up to the battle, uh, you know, your, your interception uh, tally goes down as they, you know, keep away from you. Um, so what, in terms of some other players, I guess, uh, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, I know uh, Julio Johnson's a name that, that, you know, jumps out on, you know, obviously we talked about Desmond King, but um, any other players that, you know, are, are primed in, in, in a game like this? Yeah, Josie Jewell, I was middle linebacker, number 43. Uh, he's a junior. He is one of their best linebackers they've had there. And over the last 15 years, they've had a lot of good ones, a lot of pros. Chad Greenway, who's still playing in the NFL with the Vikings and, his last year at Iowa was in 2005. Pat Anger was amongst the NFL's leading tacklers a few years ago for Indianapolis. And, and that's who Jewel reminds me of a lot, not just because he wears the same number 43 and not just because they were both white. They just play with a ferocity that um, is, is difficult to replicate. And when you see a player play at that level and ability with that much of a chip, you remember it. So he is absolutely the player that I would say you would probably see more than any other, more than Jaleel Johnson inside, more than Desmond King. Number 43 for Iowa is going to be on your TV sets more than anybody. And Rutgers is definitely going to know where he's at. And if they're going to want to attack the middle, they're going to try to get him outside of that tackle box with their power spread. I mean, that's just what they're going to have to do. Otherwise, it's going to be um, some tough sledding in there. So uh, two, I have you know two more uh, topics that I want to touch on. You know, well, one obviously you know, we talked uh, you know earlier uh, Wally being a Jersey guy. Um, yeah. One name that jumps out on the roster uh, quarterback uh, Tyler Wiegers, who was once committed to Rutgers. Yeah, uh, I, I started the show talking about um, you know we people don't remember that Rutgers was pretty close uh, in terms of of things would have got together and they they they. When they first announced they were going to the Big Ten, they had a, a really good recruiting class. Uh, ended mm-hmm. up just imploding incredibly, um, and and he was one of the players. So how is he in terms of the depth chart? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question um, because in Iowa's first game, and just before their first game, the Iowa coaching staff basically offered up un, without being asked that uh, a true freshman, Nathan Stanley, had really been impressing them in practice and that he'd moved up to at least number three on the depth chart and was battling for number two. And, again, it wasn't that anybody was asking, hey, can you tell us about the battle for the number three quarterback? They offered it up. Uh, and then in Iowa's first game at the end of the game was a blowout. They played the true freshman, Nathan Stanley, over Tyler Wiegers. And that pretty much just basically tells you without saying it outright, they feel that Stanley is going to be their starting quarterback for next year and if he stays healthy for three seasons. So Uyghur seems like a good teammate. All the TV cutaways we've seen of him on the sidelines, he's smiling and, and, and being a good teammate. But you know as well as anybody in this day and age of college football, uh, these guys don't come to sit at that position. They come to play. He's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, if, he, if he transferred to a lower level, he'd have two years to play. So unless he really, really liked Iowa City, and he might, I would imagine that he's probably going to be somewhere else uh, next year unless Stanley would get severely injured in practice. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, the quarterback position, obviously, unlike any other position, is tough. I mean, you're a quarterback. You can't, you know, if you get beaten out at defensive end, maybe you play a linebacker, maybe you move inside, right. or, you know, if you're a corner, you might, or you're a receiver, you might go on defense, but you're a quarterback, you're a quarterback, you know, except for the you know, specific situations when a guy can become a receiver or move over, uh, you know, a tight end or something like that. So definitely. Now, you know, I have to talk about recruiting because, uh, you know, I, I obviously, you know, Iowa, um, a lot of like, you know, Nebraska, that's, you know, people, a lot more on people's mind, are, you know, not the most populated states in terms of uh, um, the amount of division one athletes that are coming out of it. Um, but there is obviously quite a few, I mean, the percentage is still mostly Iowa on, on the roster, but uh, you know, where do they go and pick out? You know, I mentioned Nebraska, they used to get, you know, guys from Florida from all over the country, but uh, uh, you know, what are some of the little hot spots that they go and, and pick up their actually, you know, recruit to bolster up the Iowa roster? Yeah. Aside from the home state, as you mentioned, you know, right now, uh, Texas, has been really good to them in this recruiting class that will sign in February. 
if all these verbal commitments make it there. They've got like five or six verbal commitments from Texas and some really good players, two four-star players, one of the better running backs in the country, and Eno Benjamin, um, and then Chevin Callaway, um, a uh, a cornerback. And I I think that if I was going to be doing its job in recruiting, it also has to really recruit Illinois well consistently. And Illinois is a couple of years ago. I don't know they, they their numbers out of Illinois were very low, like one or none one year, and that was a, a big time cause for concern. So really, it's Iowa and Illinois, and then they've mined Ohio well. Now they're focusing on Texas. They they haven't really gone down as much in Florida in recent years, and and New Jersey's been a state where they they've through the years going back to Hayden Fry. He had a a coach on his staff named Bernie Wyatt, who just kind of opened up a pipeline out there to, to New Jersey, had some great players. Sicklerville has been very good to uh, the University of Iowa. And then, then Wyatt joined Barry Alvarez when he left the Iowa staff uh, and ultimately eventually came the head coach at Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, with Wyatt's connections, just brought in a ton of Jersey players uh, to their program, and, and that, they were a backbone. So Iowa's, Iowa's always got their eye on New Jersey. New Jersey produces a, a lot of football players, even though it's not the, the biggest state out there. I think they produce more per capita than Iowa does. Now, you know, obviously this game, you, know, you, you throw last week out the window. This big 10 play starts. Uh, on, you're looking at it on paper. It's, it's Rutgers, Northwestern, Minnesota, Purdue, it's it's not the most difficult start. I mean, it's, it's not where Rutgers has to go with you. Where it's Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan. Yeah. So uh, you kind of put the last week behind, and and you know you you're looking, I guess, to to start yourself off. And uh, you know, despite the loss, I mean, what is the mindset of people? Obviously, still thinking this is a team that's going to you know go out there and and, and win the western side of, of the conference. Yeah, I think that's the message that the coaches delivered this week. Is like, yeah, that that loss stinks. Iowa has a 24-hour rule. Whether it's a big win or whether it's a tough loss, you after 24 hours you move on. Easier said than done sometimes than others. But the coaches can tell the players and, and do so honestly, guys. We that game doesn't count in the Big Ten standings. Uh, the rankings only matter at the end of the year. And if we go out and take care of business the way that we know that we can, then we can win the Big Ten West and we can get back to Indianapolis and we can compete for a Big Ten championship again and maybe finish the business that we left unfinished last year. And beyond that, it is what it is. And when I'm using the word we, I'm just pretending to be them. So, yeah, <laughs> I, think that that, I, I think that that is a, that is a, a truthful sales pitch, one that I think the team will absolutely buy. Uh, I don't believe that the team is doubting themselves yet. I think they're probably pretty pissed off right now that maybe they didn't take that team as seriously as each and every person in that program should have. And, and I think that this week they're looking to get back and not only prove to themselves, but prove to Iowa fans and the rest of the country that uh, last week was a fluke. And, you know, whether or not they're able to do that, we'll see. Well, John, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on the show um, yeah, we'll, I'll definitely get some info out there, uh, HawkeyeNation.com, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe we'll get you back on the show to talk, you know, a little more general about the uh, Big Ten and uh, as the season goes on. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, getting ready to record a, a Big Ten and prediction podcast uh, here after I get off the line with you. And um, I've been watching Big Ten football since uh, I was a little kid and had a, had a show, a TV show on the Big Ten Network back in 2010. So, Talking Big Ten football more than just Iowa is something I'm always willing to do, and, and I really appreciate you having me on. And it's been great to talk to you. All right, thanks a lot. All right, take care. Great conversation. They're now looking forward uh, to shifting over. We got Bobby Darren of ScarletNation.com. Uh, before I do that, just kind of glance at the schedule real quick. Um, you know, actually, just looking at that, I didn't realize that you know it's a pretty favorable schedule there that, that, that Iowa has, and, um, you know, in terms of getting themselves back on 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 track. Uh, um, this week, the best game probably in the conference, obviously, is, is Wisconsin um, at Michigan State. Wisconsin number eleven at Michigan State number eight. So that that's a uh, uh, game of probably the week in, in the conference. 
All right, so now ready to move on and shift on to the Scarlet Knights representative, uh, Bobby Barron from ScarletNation.com. Bobby, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Good. It's been a while. Thanks for coming on. No problem. No problem. I had a nice uh, chat there with John from HockeyNation.com. I kind of got a nice little rundown uh, on the Iowa, uh, you know, point of view of this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, want to spend a little, not too much time, obviously, on last week, um, but more on looking at this game. And, uh, you know, I, I take the perspective from the point of, of a new coaching staff. And, uh, you know, one of the issues that I'll, I'll guess I'll chat with you a little bit is, um, you know, if you have any ideas or, or insight into, you know, the, the, the slow starts that Rutgers has had, um, but one thing I take back from last week that, you know, at the end of the day, it was a win and you got to learn how to win. And, and there's players that, uh, you know, are new from last year and, and uh, there were not a lot of wins. So a win is a win and they definitely did close out. Um, there were some interesting uh, situations at the quarterback position. We'll definitely touch that. Um, but, uh, you know, was there any talk about, about these slow starts and, and, you know, any ideas that they have, or is this things that kind of happened that way? You know, um, there was different reasons they, they, they said each of the last few weeks, um, this past week, uh, coach has said it was the, uh, you know, the triple option that they gave them so many different looks that they kind of had to get their feet settled and talking to some of the players. It was a deep, it was an offense that they've been practicing for since the beginning of camp, because it is rather complex and not your traditional triple option that you would see out of an army or Navy. So that, that kind of, you know, was the, was the reasoning that they gave for the slow start and against Washington, they said it was just the speed. They, they, they weren't used to it. And the game was so fast and it kind of hit them in the mouth right out of the gate. So, uh, I mean, there are reasons for it or excuses, whatever you want to call them, but it is a definite concern because it's three straight weeks and they didn't look particularly great against Howard in that first half. So, um, you know, they really, you know, need to correct that. And Chris Ash will be the first one to tell you that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they come out uh, against Iowa and see if they can correct any of those problems because another week like that and those, uh, that reasoning will just sound like, you know, hot air. Yeah, and, and both in, in the uh... – case of, of Howard and, and even last week with Gennaro Grant fumbling, you had the interception against Howard. Uh, you know, the defense was put into bad situations there. Uh, you know, they did allow the touchdowns, the first ones, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think after the first quarter, I thought, you know, the defense played pretty well. And, you know, I always say, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting there and you, you're looking at the struggle and, and, you know, at the end, Rutgers did score 37 points, but at, you know, and 52 last week, but there were struggles in offense and you can clearly see that, you know, the defense in college football, the way the points are put up on the board, if, you know, if you hold a team into the twenties and the low twenties, uh, you know, you're doing okay. Uh, an offense at this level should be expected if you're going to win a game to at least get into the mid twenties. So um, I, I don't think the defense played all, all that bad. Um, you know, let's get right to it in terms of, you know, the quarterback, uh, you know, shuffle, if you want to call it, uh, um, this past week, you know, it was a very interesting time. You know, we heard going leading into the week, uh, that Zach Allen was potentially moving. It was very interesting because last week I was talking about, you know, uh, Giovanni Rashino and, uh, you, Hey, do we think he's going to get any play time? And then, and then it became, throughout the week that Allen may be moved up into the second spot. And then lo and behold, in the very crucial point of the game, he comes in, uh, you know, first, what was your thought about that bringing him in at that moment? And, and, and did you, from what you had heard or seen in practice, were you expecting Allen to get playing time last week? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I actually asked Drew Maringer a couple of weeks ago if they were going to move him to wide receiver because he was fallen so far down in the depth chart. Well, so it seemed, um, then you saw him out there, and, and, you know, it was his first time back in a while, but he looked like deer in headlights out there. So, um, you know, he, did he, you know, he came in, he got his feet wet. Uh, I can't see him coming in and commanding the offense. Um, personally, I just think it's the waiting game until Tyron Oden takes over the offense. Um, you know, throwing him out there against the juggernaut of Iowa and Ohio State and Michigan, that probably wouldn't be fair to most freshmen. So I think the staff is, is just trying to get by for now until Odin is ready 
when that will be, I, I couldn't tell you. But um, I think they're just trying to get by with Laviano, you know. And they are two and one in those games. You know, everybody thought, you know, nobody really thought they were going to beat Washington, but they won the games they needed to. Might not have been pretty, but two and one. They got by with, you know, their starting quarterback in there. And, um, you know, I just think it's the waiting game for Odin. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm one of those I don't like beating up on Lariano. I think he's in a tough position. One is, you know, obviously he's he's not a power spread quarterback. I mean, he is he was recruited to to be another one of the Rutgers, uh, you know, pro style quarterbacks. Um, and then secondly, you know, I, I, I he's a tough kid, and give him a lot of credit because he with two different coaching staffs, he he won a quarterback battle and, 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 you know, clearly Ash brought in Allen for competition. I mean, he, he went to in spring camp and said, I, I still got to bring somebody else on. And, and at the end of the day, Laviano won. So I, I, I give him credit, but uh, I, I just, I think, you know, he ranks, what is it? 119 or so in, in, in you know, quarterback rate. And he, he, unfortunately is just the talent is not there. There was, there were so many passes that you, you know, left a lot to be desired. I think there was, uh, I thought Drew Berenger, Drew Maringer actually called a very good game. And, you know, there was one or two plays, I think the little play out to, to Goodwin in the flat where things were just designed correctly and it just didn't execute. Uh, and, and I think that's just the issue. Now, I, I'm not sure wherever I read it on, on, on the rival side or not, and that, that, you know, it was Odin working on some packages uh, this past week. And, and then, you know, on the back of what John was saying earlier about, Iowa having a weakness up front in terms of the middle, uh, do you, you know, obviously you don't want to throw him in there to throw the ball, but do you think maybe he gets a player to, uh, you know, to, to run that spread? You know, um, good question, because you didn't expect him to play in that Howard game and they didn't expect him and Rasigno just to, you know, trade off that quickly. Didn't expect Allen to play last week. So what is expected this week is really a head scratcher. But um, he has been working on some inside run packages, um, you know, kind of option stuff. So, um, you know, I could see him getting in there, but um, anything could happen. I mean, the way he's used the quarterbacks, the way Chris Ash has used the quarterbacks, I wouldn't be surprised at anything. But, um, you know, when you put him in there, you're going to have to – you can't just say run the ball, run the ball, because, you know, it, it, the defense won't have to play honest. And it's the same way with Laviano not running the ball. The defense doesn't have to respect him as a running threat. You know, they know he's going to hand it off to Robert Martin, whoever's, whoever's in the backfield. So you really limit that offense. You know, it's almost like putting a square peg into a round hole. It's just not going to fit. But you need a guy who can keep those defenses honest, you know, keep the ends from crashing in. And, um, you know, Laviano just doesn't do that. So, uh, you know, I'm saying what you were saying earlier, you know, the kid's going out, he's gutted it out, he's done what was asked, but he's just not a dual-threat quarterback. So, um, I, you know, I could see an occasion where Odin gets in this weekend. Yeah, no, it's 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 the one of the things that it's so difficult to to explain, and 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 is is it's a real handicap in the fact if you're running this offense, uh, and and there is not a dual threat as you mentioned, like there's you know players and coaches are are just natural, and they're gonna until you make me believe that you can run, I'm not gonna respect it, and I think that's where the limitation. And again, I I I, I happen to say I I just thought. The play calling was was really well set up last week. It's just that you know there's there's limitations that, uh, to your point, that you know would go away if the quarterback was a running option. But um, you know, as you said, you can't bring in Odin if he's not ready to throw the ball because um, you know this is this is big time football and, and the next three weeks are are some serious uh, teams coming in. So uh, you know. One player, though, of course, uh, that that you know jumped at me was was, was Harris. You know, he had the long touchdown. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of talk about his athletic ability. He's the Big Ten uh, stolen base leader this year. He's a baseball guy, but he has. Uh, I, I really liked watching him and Grant out there. Um, you know, do you what do you see in terms of uh, the wide receiver group? Uh, you know, in in. Patton and some of these other guys developing as the season goes on. Well, you know, Patton's working back from injury. Um, he was, you know, he had an ankle uh, injury at the start of the year. wasn't hundred percent. And 
you know, when he caught that touchdown last week, re-aggravated it. He looked better this week in practice. He'll be out there playing. He might not be 100%, but you also have, you know, uh, Harris and, and Grant out there. And, you know, Harris is, is really an electric guy. Um, they need his speed out there. Not the biggest guy, but he can really stretch the field, which they sorely need. But, you know, things are going to change a little bit when they play these Big Ten teams. Denarian Grant was a step ahead of everybody else, uh, a step ahead of everybody else in Howard in New Mexico. When you play your Ohio States and Michigans, they got 10 Janorian Grant speed-wise, you know. So it's going to be tougher for him to get free when they key on him. So they're going to need these other guys to step up. Juwan Harris is going to be key in opening up anything with uh, with the passing attack because otherwise, you know, they, they don't have any other deep threats. So I think they're really going to have to utilize him quite a bit. I agree. And I think I think you, you bring up a great point because uh, I look back two years ago when, when Rutgers played at Ohio state and, and, and you know, uh, you know, I, I think they threw that little pass out in the flat to Grant and, and, you know, he just was swarmed uh, and, and you just, whoa. And he said, yes, you know, uh, you know, not only did they have these guys, they're, they're quicker and faster than him and they're on defense and it's, you know, uh, I mean, I, I mean, Ohio state is a different world, but uh, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about Desmond King. There's going to be athletes on on Iowa. So, um, to your point, you know, one of the best games that Rutgers probably played in, in the last two years is when uh, uh, Nova and, and Patton hooked up in that Maryland game. And you know, he just hasn't been able to to get back to that point. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a player that needs to to step up. Now, uh, we talked about you know. Iowa has a tight end to watch. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was impressed with the grittiness of, of Greg Jones. Uh, you know, I'm biased. He's from my uh, old hometown here. Uh, you know, I used to live in Colonia. Um, so it's a great story. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot of greenness in there. Um, in this week, what do, what do you think Iowa's going to attack? I mean, we talked about, you know, that, that they're probably going to try to reestablish themselves on the run. But, uh, you know, the Rutgers still has some weakness on defense in terms of the I secondary you know, I, I don't think they're just going to actually go after one or two guys. I think they're just going to run their their, their offense, and, and you're going to see some of the, the weaknesses show up when they do run that, and one of it is the linebackers. You know, I think Greg Jones has played the best out of any of the three. Um, you know, he, he's not a super athletic guy. You know, he's in the right spot at the right time, plays tough. Um, I think he's been head and shoulders above the other two starters. Um, I think the linebackers are, are going to struggle again this week. There's just – you know, the cupboard was left kind of bare when, when Chris Ash took over. So um, those guys are trying to learn on the fly, and, and, you know, it's going to be a struggle there. You know, the safeties are going to have to play better as well. Um, you know, that second third level against the run, they're really going to have to step up and play a lot better than they have been playing. But, you know, with the personnel, they're just going to be outclassed as far as talent goes um, on the Iowa side, and uh, it could make for a long afternoon. Yeah, I mean, and this is why I kind of started like with my preamble a little bit, and that, and that and it's and it's tough whenever Rutgers plays a new team and they're coming, uh, you know, a new fan base and they're playing this, and you know, the, you know, I think sometimes the perception is that Rutgers is struggling because it's playing in the Big Ten, but it's it's really it's a talent issue. I mean, uh, you know, I say, again, I'm you know, you have New England on TV today, and and you know, give Rutgers back Logan Ryan and Deron Harmon and Brandon Bing and Marcus Cooper. And, and we're going to have a whole different conversation, uh, uh, you know, throwing the ball, you know, but it's, it's not there right now. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, just no, there's no way around that. You know, the talent is just not there. Uh, but with that said, you know, you saw Harris there, uh, you know, last week, um, uh, uh, who are some of the other players, young guys that, you know, you maybe you think that are close to contributing or, or, you know, are ready to um, kind of, you know, take a different role on the team and, and put in some good contributions. Well, I think you have some freshmen that are going to play a lot more as the season goes on. I like what KJ Gray does at safety. Um, Tyreek uh, Williams um, at linebacker, you know, he's backing up Jones now at the Sam. I think he has a bright future. I think he could work himself in the mix sooner or later. Um, Damon Hayes, I think, could be a starter by the end of the season. You know, Isaiah Wharton's been up and down, and uh, Hayes has been steadily progressing. So he is definitely one to watch. Um, you know, you have some some decent freshmen there. DeCoven Bailey, um, they're, they're young, though. So, you know, it, it's going to take some time on the offensive line. Jonah Jackson's coming along real nicely. So uh, I think this year you're, you're going to have 
to try and build some of those guys. Um, you know, some of them might not be quite ready to take over the starting role, but with a little seasoning next year, they could be a definite upgrade into what they have now. But um, those young guys that I mentioned are guys to, to, that I think uh, you should really watch out for in the next, you know, three, four, five, six weeks. Obviously, the next three games are going to be tough, but getting that experience should help these guys when the Illinois comes around, when, when the Maryland's come around, when those games that are really winnable come around. If, if, if they have that experience, you know, they could put – put some wins together there and I think those are the important games that are going to determine how this season ultimately plays out so uh, I think you just got to get through these next three games healthy as healthy as possible and uh, use it as a learning experience try and be competitive and uh, you know look ahead to those games that they could really have a chance to win now uh, you know we mentioned now there's two players that I'm interested in obviously uh, Bailey in terms of Where's his future? Is it on the offensive side or defensive side? And, and has he moved back? And then the other player, which, you know, was a nice source of lightning rod on the, you know, boards uh, is uh, uh, Kamoko Ture. Uh, how far is he from getting back on the field and contributing? Well, uh, DeKogan is, is going to go back to offense. It's just he has a cast still on his hand. He told me he's probably about two more weeks from getting it off. So he can't do any catching with it, and they figure they can use him on defense. Um, that's just a temporary thing. So he'll be back at wide receiver once that cast is off. Um, Torre, you know, he, he looked like he got a little bigger, but, you know, he had the two shoulder surgeries and, and still had a ways to go. Um, a lot of work due in the weight room, you know, getting back into the swing of things. And the staff hasn't seemed, or Chris Ash hasn't seemed overly confident every time he's spoken about him. So I know he had that flash a few years ago and everybody thought he was the next coming, but, you know, I think he's still got a ways to go before he can really make a significant impact. If he gets out on the field, it's his first play in, in a long time, coming off two shoulder surgeries. I wouldn't expect a guy to go out and have five sacks in a game. <laughs> Uh, it's, it, it was legendary stuff, you know, in terms of when he first came on and, and, and then, you know, the blocked field goals and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, as he, you know, moves along, you're now hoping that he's the guy that can just at least put it together to get a shot as, uh, you know, in terms of, of getting, you know, a chance to, to play at the next level, but uh, he has to, he has to get on, on the field at this time. Uh, you know, before we ended, I guess, you know, a couple questions I have, um, you know, again, I, I kind of try to keep everything in this perspective. Uh, you know, I think the coaching staff, you know, obviously they're new and they're learning too. And, and uh, that obviously different, you know, a, you, a lot of people complained last year when, when flood, uh, you know, stuck with Laviano all year. Uh, then now you may say, well, you know, the whole thing with Allen is like, wait a second, do these guys have a plan? But uh, I, I kind of think I like it in the way that he's, he's saying he's not happy. He's not saying that, you know, he, he's not going to say, look, I run my power spread. I'm going to do this, and this is my guy. And, um, you, you know, they want better, but unfortunately the players aren't here. Uh, you know, what, what are your impressions so far, you know, you know, now, you know, three, four weeks into the season of, of this coaching staff? Um, you know, like I said, uh, they, they, I don't know if they realized how tough of a road it was going to be. Um, you know, you look at the last few recruiting classes and, and you already have a good portion of them that are gone, let alone some of the guys who didn't contribute. So, you know, the depth isn't there. You have some positions that are just bare, and the staff is just trying to piece it all together. You know, with the quarterback, um, you know, I'm sure Ash wants to go out and run that power spread and do it, but he doesn't really have the personnel. And like I said, with Odin, they're, they're bringing him along. And, uh, you know, when he's ready, I think you'll see him out there. But, I think they've done a decent job working with what they have. Um, you know, the slow start are a little suspect. I, I would, you know, if that continues, then you'd have to kind of raise a skeptical eye, you know, to the coaching. You have to get these guys ready to play. But, you know, they're 2-1. They they lost the game to, you know, a highly touted Washington team and won the two that they should have won. So, like I said, at the end of the day, it's the, the wins and losses are what matters. And, you know, it might not have been pretty against Howard. might not have been pretty against New Mexico but they won the game. So um, however you get it done, I think in the end, as, as long as it's a win, it's a win. And, um, you know, you're never as good as your best win. You're never as bad as your best, worst loss. So week to week things can change in college football. And, and who knows, maybe the staff, you know, uses these early games as a stepping stone. Um, you know, but as far as evaluating them, I think the jury is still out. I can't really give them uh, a grade as of yet because it's still a little too early. 
Well, Bobby, appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Uh, uh, you know, I think um, it's one of those games that, uh, you know, just hope for a good uh, performance. But uh look forward to uh, chatting again in the future, and uh, thanks again for coming on. All right, definitely. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Our Big Show. I appreciate everyone listening, uh, uh, you know, to our Iowa fans that are visiting. Hopefully you have a good time. Um, and, you know, I think the sentiment here, unfortunately, I talked about it. Uh, you know, it's, um, you know, there's a issue with Rutgers, and, and uh, this is one of those games that you might take a moral victory if they can just be competitive and keep it close, especially with Ohio State and Michigan coming up. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.